Morning, church. How's everybody doing? You know, I'm excited, been really excited to, to share this morning, to preach this morning about Palm Sunday. We're going to be talking about Jesus and how he, he really led the way through love. And one of the things that I've been really thinking about as I've, you know, prepared the sermon is I, you know, I tried to get into this mindset of like, what was it like those last two weeks of Jesus's life? You ever done a study on that stuff? Like, let's just say it led me down a rabbit hole and I'm not going to share all those details with you guys, but it started, you know, I, I really tried over the last uh, couple of weeks to consciously be thinking about, oh, Jesus, this is what you were doing this day. And this is what you were doing this day. And then today, Jesus was making his trek into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He was welcomed and greeted like a king. And then on Friday, he was going to be crucified. And so we're going to talk about this. Okay, so it's Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry. Jesus made it. Um, he, he came on a donkey, you know, in, in peace, but not on a warrior horse. It wasn't like this, this king, king coming to conquer. It was a king coming to bring peace. And people just did not know what to do with him. Now, before we can talk about it, you know, sometimes you got to look back in the past. Okay, I, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I like looking back in the past. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes the past is awesome. Brings back great memories, and sometimes it just ain't pretty. Uh, but I want to share this one story with you guys from the Bible, and then it's going to bring us to Palm Sunday. So if you can, be turning over your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Before we look in the Scriptures, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for who you are and how you work and how you move. And God, really, just how uh, you sent your Son to live a perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins. I pray, God, that we can remember that, that we can live our lives thinking about him and the way he lived his life and, and do our best to imitate that. God, help your words this morning, the scriptures that we look at to, to really impact our hearts, to, to leave here wanting to change and become more and more like your son, closer to you. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 9. So I've got two points, and it's, you know, about love leads the way. The first point is going to be love leads the way in our prayers. And the second point is going to be love leads the way in our worship. And in Daniel chapter 9, it says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes' reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Okay, Daniel is reading his Bible. Specifically, he's reading Jeremiah. How many here have a t-shirt or a mug or have ever read Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Turn over there really quick. Because I would like to think this, was, this is what Daniel was reading. That very scripture. He's either reading this scripture or, Daniel chapter, or Jeremiah chapter 25. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, the verse right before 11. And this is a letter written to the exiles who had been exiled uh, to, by the kingdom of, to the kingdom of Babylon. You know, the, the, the nation of Israel had disobeyed God. 
and gone against God. And eventually, you know, this is how God works. If you don't want to follow him, he ain't going to force you. And that's how Israel was. So he said, okay, I'm, I'm going to hand you over. And th- this, this, this empire is going to take you over. So the Babylonian empire comes and takes them over. And for 70 years, they were going to be in exile to the nation of Babylon. And that's where Daniel prophesies. You know, this is the same Daniel that, that was in the lion's den. Got thrown in the lion's den. Daniel is a mighty, mighty man of God. And he's reading his Bible late in life, around 538 B.C. We can date that because it says the first year of Darius. It tells us when, this, when he's reading his Bible. It tells us what he's reading in his Bible. He's reading Jeremiah. I think Jeremiah chapter 29. He's reading this letter to the exiles, verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and I will fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans, or declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, to not harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Daniel is reading this. He's getting inspired. And he says, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Do you know why? Because they got exiled in 605 B.C. Subtract 70 years and you get to 535 B.C. Daniel's looking at the clock. And he's saying, oh, in three years, according to the scriptures, we're going to be free. I better start praying. I got to start praying. Because God's going to do something. So he gets down on his knees. And you can go back and read this, this amazing prayer that Daniel prays in Daniel chapter 9. But we get to verse 20. And he does, I love this part in the Bible. Because it says, while I was speaking and praying. And he says, I was confessing my sin. You know, the Bible does not record any sin that Daniel has. You know, it doesn't matter if you think you're all that or other people think you're all that. You're still a sinner. Daniel was still a sinner. And he knew it. He wasn't too big for his britches. He knew he was a sinner. And he's saying, I'm confessing my sin, and I'm confessing the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, while he was praying, Gabriel, the angel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, he came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. You ever been interrupted how do you get do you guys like being interrupted i i do not like being interrupted if i'm honest with you i do not like being interrupted I, you know but i've got a three-year-old and a one and a half year old and i get interrupted all the time they they you know and i try to think i try to teach them manners and and, and you know hey here's how you would talk to a, here here's when you can talk if i'm talking it is not your turn to talk. If I'm on the phone, that is not the time to ask me questions, even though that tends to be the time they want to ask me the most questions when I'm on the phone. And so we taught him this. We say, well, you need to say, excuse me. So all he does, my son Levi, is he just says, excuse me before every interruption, assuming that I am going to allow your interruption every single time because you said, excuse me. I don't know how to fix it. If you guys have any input for me. You can tell me after the service, like, hey, here's what we did with our kids. But 
I get interrupted all the time. And that's just life, right? Daniel is praying. He's confessing the sins. I mean, this is not a good time to get an interruption. I'm confessing here. I'm getting open. I'm dealing with my sin. I've got people's sin that I'm dealing with. I'm praying and the angel comes. You know, God will interrupt you. Interruptions are not always the enemy of productivity. They're not always the enemies of our agenda. Sometimes interruptions are actually God's invitations. Sometimes God's trying to get you to slow down to see something bigger than your little agenda that you have. Sometimes God is trying to interrupt you because he's like, hey, I've got something going on here that you have no idea about. That's what's happening to Daniel here. You know, when I slow down and allow my kids to interrupt me, man, life is just beautiful. Because my son, he, he interrupted me yesterday to show me a roly-poly. I don't know why that makes me emotional. parents know how that is, right? You know, your parents get it. Because we're out walking and, uh, you know, as I, I, was, I took the kids out on a walk and I, we're on the, I'm on the phone having a conversation. He's like, Daddy, 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 it's a roly-poly. And I'm like, I'm on the phone. <laughs> okay, play with it. I don't care. Just don't step on it. And he's like, Daddy. And so, I, you know, I got off the phone and I'm like, son, what do you want to call him? And my son is uh, very well versed in the Marvel uh universe, so he calls his roly-poly Luke Cage. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I'm like, man, this is, come on, Levi. Sometimes interruptions are actually God's invitation to open your eyes, to get you to slow down, to get you to serve, to think outside of yourself, to, to, to show you that, hey, like, there, there, there's more important things to be done than what you have in mind. Daniel was praying. He was praying. He was confessing his sins. He was confessing the sins of his people. Verse 22. Gabriel says, he instructed me and he said to me, Daniel... I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out. Did you guys know that? That when you start to pray, your angels start to move. Some of us, we got overpaid and underworked angels up there. Some of our angels are a little overweight because we ain't getting them moving. You guys know what I'm talking about? Because we're not praying. We're not getting our angels moving. You know, when you start to pray... Things happen. Especially when you read the Word of God. Daniel, this is all because he's reading the Word of God. And he's seeing and he's making these connections. It wasn't all that complicated. Hey, 70 years is almost up. I got three years left. I need to start praying. I need to start confessing. I need to. Things are happening here. Let me get moving in my prayer life. And, and the, Gabriel says, Hey, as soon as you started praying, as soon as you opened your mouth, a word came out to you. 
He says, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Daniel is about to receive the greatest news, the greatest vision, and he's about to give us one of the greatest prophecies we have in all of Scripture. It says, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city. Seventy sevens is a, is a time frame. And I'll explain that in a second. To finish transgression. To put an end to sin. To atone for wickedness. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy place. Here Daniel is. Praying to God. He receives an interruption. 538 B.C. And he writes this one down. And I'm glad he writes it down. You know, the cool thing about prophecy is that we can read something like that. And I don't know if Daniel really understood what was being said in that moment. I mean, there's some pretty cool things that are being said. Like, hey, finish transgression. An end to sin. Atonement for wickedness. Everlasting righteousness. He's like, oh, these are details I need to write down. Like, we're going to seal up. We're going to fulfill all prophecy here. Okay. Like, I got I to gotta write this one down. But the cool thing about prophecy and being able to see prophecy is, you know, we have the benefit of looking back and kind of doing the math and seeing, hey, how did that one work out? You know, if you've ever... Studied out the cross, the crucifixion, and read Isaiah 53. It's just, you just see like the words that were spoken 700 years before Jesus died on the cross. And how, just like, wow, that just works. God knows what he's doing. God is above time. He's above our thoughts. And he tells them 77s. So, that word, 77, what he's telling them is 77-year periods. We got any math majors here? How long is that? 490 years. So 490 years. And then, so what we need to know, really, is when does the clock start? When do we start this 490-year countdown? You know, the next verse, he says... Where are we at? Verse 24. I don't have it on the screen. I'm not, I wasn't going to put all of it because there's a lot to this prophecy. If you want to do all the deep digging for yourself, there's some great books in the back of the book table. There's a shameless plug for our church book table. There's an awesome book on Daniel. You can go read that book. And, um, but he says, know and understand this from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. So there's, there's, this, there's when we start the clock. So from the time the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem. So what happens is Ezra chapter 7. We're not going to read through it. But there is a decree sent out to rebuild the nation of Jerusalem. And this happens in 458 B.C. So do I have somebody here with the calculator? You got your phone. So who's got a phone? Who's taking notes on their phone? All right, Dwayne, type in on your calculator... Negative 458. You got to put the minus in there because we're doing B.C., right? This is B.C., negative 458 on this side. Add 490. What do you get? 32. He says, 
490 years from that point, you're going to get to 32 A.D. And that's when the anointed one will come. So we get this amazing vision. And it says, in 490 years, 70 times 7, the anointed one is going to arrive. He's going to put an end. He's going to atone. He's going to finish all sin. He's going to put an end to wickedness. He's going to atone for all sin. He's going to usher in everlasting righteousness. Matthew 5, 17, Jesus tells us, he said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And he is going to come and he is going to fulfill all prophecy. And we get to 32 AD. Man, how can you not believe the Bible when you see stuff like that? That was written in 538 AD. Daniel didn't know what he was writing. He didn't know how it was going to happen. 490 years after that decree to rebuild Jerusalem was sent out. The anointed one arrives. The king arrives to Jerusalem, to the holy hill. And that's where we find ourselves at Palm Sunday. Jesus, he tells us, or we, t- we see in the Bible in uh, Luke chapter 9, that Le- Jesus resolutely set his face for Jerusalem, where he knew he was going to die. He intentionally went there knowing how it was going to end for him. Isn't that just inspiring? No doubt he was thinking something like this the whole time. There's no no greater love than to lay down someone's life for their friends. He was motivated by love for each one of us, for each one of you. That's That's what got him to Jerusalem. As he came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday... Uh, In Luke chapter 19, it tells us that that he got to the city and he wept over the city because he said, if you only knew that I came to bring peace, if you only knew. Because the very city that was giving him the king's welcome on Sunday was going to be crucifying him on Friday. But Jesus was willing to lay down his life for us because why? We're his friends. That's how he sees us. He sees us as his friends. Now, before Jesus arrives, I want to do another little history lesson here. Because there's something happened the night before. Saturday night. I don't know what you were doing on Saturday night. But Saturday night, before Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was at a dinner party. Do you guys know that? And that's what we're going to get point number two. Love leads the way in our worship. Jesus was at a dinner party. In John chapter 12, we read about it. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived. That's about a mile and a half from Jerusalem. That's where he started his walk up to Jerusalem. Where, and whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So by the way, there's a dinner party given in Jesus' honor. If you didn't know this, this is a Uh, This is a part of culture. This is a part of every culture that if you are raised from the dead, the person who raised you from the dead, you throw them a dinner party. Did you guys know this? That is just appropriate. You know, I was thinking about that and I was like, you know what? Like, how grateful am I for the people that have actually done amazing things for me? Maybe they didn't raise me from the dead, like physically speaking, but spiritually speaking, I've had a lot of people you know, help me from dying. And I'm like, have I shown gratitude 
Have you? Lazarus is like, I got to throw him a dinner party. So Jesus, before he makes this triumphant entry, there's a dinner given in his honor. Martha was serving while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, which is an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And I wanted to read this because this is just such a beautiful display of worship. This is one of those, uh, you know, when I think about worship, like, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like, I'm pretty reserved in my emotions. Like, I have a hard time sometimes displaying my emotion in my worship towards God. Do you guys know what I mean? Anybody relate to that? You know, because I grew up all my life being told, don't cry. I've been, I've grown, and I, and I do cry. You guys know, I have no problem crying. I just cried about a roly-poly. Like, <laughs> but I grew up all my life, like, being told that, you know, hey, men don't cry. Hey, suck it up. You, I don't care. Put a smile on that face. I don't care how you feel. So I grew up all my life kind of having emotions suppressed. And now I think there's times and there's places where it's absolutely appropriate that your emotions do not run your life. That does not end up in good places. You guys know what I'm talking about? But when it comes to worshiping your God... When it comes to deciding, hey, I'm going to worship God. And notice when he's, she's worshiping God. This is at a dinner party on a Friday night. Listen, if the only time you worship God is on a Sunday morning, that sounds a little bit more like obligation than actual love. Like if I told my wife, my beautiful, amazing, lovely wife, and I said, hey, our only time to talk is going to be Mondays from 2 to 4. Like that's an obligation. That's not love. I talk to her whenever I want to talk to her. And I love text messaging because I text her anytime I want to text her. You guys know what I mean? Like, that's what love is. Mary was overflowing with love. Jesus had just raised her brother from the dead, and she is pouring this oil on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. Ladies, how does that sound? You know, sometimes I think... We're a little too reserved in our worship. And you know what it is? We're not willing to pour everything out. We're not willing to pour it all out. Because we don't want to show all the emotions. Mary poured out her heart. She poured out her time. Poured out her possessions, her emotions. She poured out her image. She wasn't worried about what other people were thinking about her at the dinner party. She was worshiping her God. How has your worship been of God? I'm not talking about Sunday mornings. It's awesome to come here at church on Sunday mornings and worship God. And, you know, we have an amazing band, we have some amazing singers. But what about every other minute of the week? Are you too worried about what your classmates are going to think about your worship? Are you too worried about what your coworkers are going to think about your worship? Are you willing to kind of make a fool of yourself for your God? Are you willing to pour everything out? Are you taking advantage of those 10-minute breaks and going on good prayer walks and just pouring your heart out to God? Like, how's your worship? 
See, because love leads the way in worship, and you know it. You know if I am being inspired and motivated by my love for my God in my worship. And you also know when you're not. Mary was allowing love to lead the way in her worship. And it wasn't going to stop her. You know, but let me tell you something. If you're going to do that, you're going to have critics. You're going to have people that are going to look at you a little weird. They might kind of like, what is up with that person? Somebody get them some medication or something. That's what's going to happen. You know, this happened to Mary. One of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would betray him, he said, that perfume, it was worth a year's wages. Jesus, it, it should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Think about the children, Jesus. We, got, we could give money to the kids. We could give money to all the people with all this money, like with all that perfume she just wasted on your feet. Come on. You ever thought that? You're going to have critics when it comes to your worship. Mary didn't care. I love Jesus' response. You guys over there in John chapter 10? i got to get there really quick. Hold on. Jesus' response in John chapter, excuse me, John chapter 12. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is like, this happened for a reason. Leave her alone. Jesus, uh, Mary was not going to be stopped when it came to pouring out her love through worship. You know, this past Wednesday, uh, my cousin Jordan Lambert led a Bible talk at our singles. You know, our singles, we had a great week, didn't we, singles? We had a Bible talk and then we had karaoke. I thought about singing a song for you guys because I was inspired from karaoke, but I saw a few of the faces while I was singing karaoke and I was like... They were kind of the, the encouraging faces, but don't do that again. You know what I mean? So I won't be singing any songs. But Jordan led a Bible talk, and he showed us some videos. And one of the videos, I was, I was just so inspired by it. And I had, I had heard the story. I would read the story. It's about a, an Olympic athlete named Derek Redman. And in 1992, he was competing in the 400-meter run, the finals. I want to show you guys... This story right here. There he is in the blue shorts. You ever feel like that? You're trying to make it to the finish line? life knocks you down you just get stopped feel like you gotta wow I, I failed I've trained for this my whole life I've given it my everything it's inspiring you just, you just get back up and you keep going you make it till the end That man running on the, the track right there, that's his dad. You notice the officials could not stop him. The officials continue to try to stop him from finishing. Pops isn't having it. 
He's like, man, I got this. Get away. I'm taking him to the finish line. You know, detractors are uh, critics. They, they're going to keep coming. You know, you got to push them off. You got to, you know, do the, do the hand sometimes. Hey, we're finishing this. We're going to make it all the way to the end. He's like, get away. He makes it to the end. Every parent here would do the same exact thing if your kid was in this situation. You know that nothing would hold you back from running out onto that track and helping your kid who had trained their entire lives to get to the finish line. You know, Mike shared about relationships. We need relationships to get to the finish line. You know, I've been uh, doing a little bit of running here recently. And something I learned about myself is, is that, like, when it comes to the, when it comes to closing out my runs, I, I see the end of my run and I like to slow down. This isn't in my notes. This one's for free. Okay. I like to slow down at the end of some of my runs. And it's because I see the finish line. You know, Jesus did not slow down. He set his face for Jerusalem. He came in to the city knowing what, how, how it was going to end for him. And he gave his heart all the way till the very end. He never slowed down. There's some of us here that have been disciples for a long time. And we've started to slow down. Man, we've got to have that heart of Jesus. Where it's like, we see it through till the end, all the way. All the way till the end. After the dinner party, Jesus gets a good night's rest. He takes a mile and a half walk up the hill to Jerusalem. Back in John 12, verse 12, it says, The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches, which is like a sign of victory. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. It's victory. The king has arrived. He is here. This guy, Jesus, who's done all these miracles, he said all these amazing things. He was going viral. Jesus was the first viral sensation, guys. If you didn't know that, that's who Jesus was. They took palm branches and they went out to meet him and they were shouting these words they were shouting hosanna hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the king of israel he got a king's welcome you know when i was preparing my sermon i i started i was like what does that even mean hosanna so i did my little word study and it's pretty cool because I learned that it comes from this scripture right here. This is Psalm 118, verse 24 and 25. You ever heard this song? This is the day. Oh, I told you guys I wasn't going to sing, but this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Did anybody sing this song as a kid? I sung this song a ton. Yeah, as a kid. And then, um, you know, I used to think it was just talking about any other day. And I guess it is every day God has made. But it says this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Hosanna. It's the only time that word shows up in the Old Testament. Now, for those that didn't know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. 
And so when they, when they translated this word from Hebrew to Greek, guess what they did? Nothing. They, they kept the same, basically they kept the same word. In Hebrew, it sound, this is what it sounds like, hoshiyana, hoshiyana. And they just kept the same word and translated it to Greek and made it sound the same. And then when we translate it to English, it's still the same word. So we're saying the same word that they said in Psalm 118, verse 25, Hoshiyana. That's what Hosanna means. That's where Hosanna comes from. And it means, Lord, save us. Although, as it got translated and over time, over those hundreds and hundreds of years, it started out with, Lord, save us. Meaning like, hey, I've just fell in a pool. Save me, save me, save me to... Now the lifeguard is coming, salvation, salvation is on its way, and that's what they were saying. Hosanna had taken on a brand new meaning for them, and so when they're, when they're saying it, they're saying, Hosanna, salvation, salvation, it's coming, he's coming, the king is here, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. They're screaming Hosanna, and so I got done, I'm, I'm, I'm writing my notes I'm thinking, oh, I've got to share this with everybody. And I'm like, you know, it'd be really cool to sing that song as a church, wouldn't it? Don't you guys love that song, Hosanna? I love that song. And so I look on our church planning, or, you know, our song planning service, and it was on there. And so I called Duke, who plans all the songs. And I said, Duke, what made you do that? When, well, first of all, when did you do that? He said, oh, about a month ago. I said, what made you do that? And he said, we just haven't sung it in a while. And I'm like, can you move it to the end? We're going to put it in the end. Because normally a song that you sing around communion or something like that. But I said, I want, can we move this one to the end? And as we sing this song, the band, you guys can come on up here. As we sing this song, I want you to focus on these words here. It's one of the verses. It says, heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to the things unseen. God, interrupt me. Interrupt me in my prayers, God. Please open up my eyes to the things that I cannot see. Show me how to love like you have loved me. God, help me to pour out my love. I want you to think about that. Break my heart for what breaks yours. And everything I am is for your kingdom's cause as I walk from the earth to eternity, help me to connect deeply with you all the way to the end. Help me to finish strong all the way to the end. Help me to finish strong with people by my side as I walk from earth into eternity. Let's stand up. We're going to close in this song, Hosanna. I want you to think about these words as we close.